Thank you, Scott, family, and, and Janice for, for leading us to think great thoughts about, about God this morning. I wish when Janice was playing during communion that uh, we had the lyrics up for that uh, song that's so appropriate for the occasion. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, last week I had the treat of having my mom visit for a couple of days. I don't know if any of you got to meet my mom when, when she was here, but I like my mom a lot, so that was, that was good fun. Uh, I'm one of six kids, so you know I feel like she's a bit of a hero of uh, raising six kids. Uh, years ago in college, I had to write a paper on, on parenting, you know, something I knew nothing about. So I asked my, my mom the secret to raising kids who flourish in life. And, uh, and here's what she said. She said, uh, beat them, feed them, and kiss them. Uh, so these are, these are the three things you need to, you know, to flourish in life uh, as, a, as a parent. And, and she didn't mean exactly beat them, but, but the idea of, of discipline, of, of, you know, providing for physical needs, and then affection. Uh, these are the three things we need to flourish as a kid growing up. And, and I tend to agree with mom on that. You know, who would disagree with mom? Um, well, like there's these three things to flourish in, as a parent or in parenting, there's three things we need to flourish in our relationship with God. Three things to, to, really, to really thrive, to really have that life um, that we always wanted, where our soul is, is right with the Lord. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, about uh, God's Word in the Bible and how critical that is for um, you know, our daily nourishment and then last week we talked about prayer, just that daily conversation of, of talking with God. How, how critical, how could you uh, have any kind of relationship without communication uh, on a regular basis? So the Bible, prayer, you know, real basic things. And today the third one, we need worship to thrive. Uh, worship was certainly one of the core habits of the New Testament church. And we'll, during, this service, during this series, we'll refer back to uh, Acts 2 um, periodically because it just captures, this is what the early church uh, did. And uh, here in verses 46 to 47 of Acts 2, it says, And day by day they were attending the temple together, you know, the house of worship. They were breaking bread in their homes, which could refer to sharing meals together, but, but probably had the sense of uh, actually celebrating communion together, worshiping. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. So again, turning as a habit of life, they were constantly turning the focus on, on God and his glory and what, he, what he's done and who he is. Um, so it was the practice of the early church from the beginning. We need to worship. We, we know this. It was also uh, what Jesus modeled uh, real early on, first you know, childhood story of Jesus. He escapes away to the temple and when they go looking for him, he's like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house, the house of worship? Uh, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus um, uh, participating in temple life and constantly going to the synagogue, the, the places of worship. Um, but more than that, it was just his, his lifestyle of worship. Uh, we see in what's sometimes called the high priestly prayer toward the end of um, John's Gospel where Jesus is talking to the Father in front of his disciples, uh, and he says this in verses uh, 4 and 6. Jesus says to God the Father, I glorified you on earth. 
having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I have manifested your name to the people. In other words, I've made known your glory, your renown among the people. Jesus lived a lifestyle of worship. Well, if the early church needed it and Jesus needed it, we certainly need worship to thrive. That's our main point today. If you get nothing else, get that. Well, we need worship to thrive, but, you know, worship isn't actually about us thriving. That's just a byproduct of it. It's, it's, about, it's about God. Uh, by the very nature of it, worship is saying God is worthy. Um, well, there's a problem. Worship is such a buzzword for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. We talk about it a lot, but sometimes it can be uh, divisive or sometimes it can be confusing. It's confusing because sometimes we say um, or we think that worship equals music. We say, well, we're going to do worship and then we're going to you know, listen to Josh talk for half an hour. Or we say we have a worship team or a worship ministry, and really we're talking about the, the musical part of worship. Well, so that's much too narrow of a definition uh, for worship. It's, it's quite a bit broader. And so sometimes we go the other way and we say, well, actually, uh, life is worship. Um, that's entirely true, or it should be entirely true, but that is a little bit too vague to kind of uh, be helpful or to get our, our minds around it. So... One problem, worship can be confusing. It could also be uh, divisive. If there's 100 people in this room, there's probably 200 opinions about uh, how is the best way to worship, um, what kind of worship music, um, what kind of uh, liturgy or lack of it, uh, candles, yes or no, creeds, yes or no. Is it better to worship here in the church or, or out uh, under the stars? And we have all these opinions about the best way to worship. And so maybe really, uh, I think we're probably convinced that we need worship and worship is good, but our question is, what kind of worship do I need to thrive? Well, what does worship look like that, uh, that results in my soul being nourished and right with God? Well, the answer to this question is a recurring theme throughout the entire Bible. Um, there, there's whole books of the Bible just focused on this very topic. And I could have preached the same sermon from a whole lot of places in the Bible, but uh, I chose Psalm 33 because why not? Today we're going to look at three kind of parts or components to worship. Sometimes uh, each of these we call uh, worship individually, but really um, they, they all encompass uh, what we're talking about. Um, so as you turn to Psalm 33, that's on page 463 on the, on the Pew Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today. And it begins like this, verse 1. Shout, to the, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. So praise, worship, focusing our attention on how great God is and what he's done for us, this is befitting. It's it's fitting for us. It's appropriate. It's right. And why is praise so befitting? What, what's the source or the starting point for our expression of worship? And so we'll see the first thing is, I, I really need worship that reflects on God's character. For my soul to thrive deep down, I need worship that reflects on the worthiness 
of God. This conscious acknowledgement of who God is and what he's like and what he's done. So, what is God like? We're going to kind of not do this psalm in exactly chronological, but we'll skip around a little bit. Um, look at verse 4 and verses 5. It says this, uh, why, you know, why worship like this? For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So what is God like? Well, he's upright, he's faithful, he's righteous, he's just, he's full of this covenant love toward us. These are, these are things we could say about God that prompt us to worship. So what has God done? Who is he? And I think throughout Scripture, we can summarize it in these two words, uh, creator and redeemer. I recently read a, a somewhat a technical scholarly article on, um, on Paul's epistles and, uh, and Paul's use of, of worship. Um, by R.P. Martin, and he says this, he says, while there is no formal definition of what the worship of God means or entails in biblical literature, in other words, the Bible doesn't just stop and define it, he goes on to say, but it can be safely said that in both Testament ages, worship originates in the understanding of God as creator and redeemer. From beginning to end. If you look at the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, it starts off with what? creation. Here's the God, the God who made heaven and earth, the God who uh, is in charge of everything. And then, and then it goes on to talk about the, the main redemptive event uh, in the Old Testament, um, the exodus from Egypt. So God is creator, God is redeemer. This is, what, uh, this is what we learned from the Pentateuch. Well, it's also true all throughout the Psalms, all through the prophets, through the, through the, the kingdom period and the worship of the of, uh, throughout the kingdom period, and it's in the, the hymns in the New Testament as well. God is creator. God is redeemer. So we see that come out in, in this psalm as well. Verse 6, 7, and 9, and 10 to 11, this whole middle part, really focuses on God as the, the sovereign creator, the one in charge of all things, who made all things, and it starts this, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So everything around us is not just, you know, randomness. This is God is responsible for all that we see around us. Verse 10 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And so we see this picture as the one who made everything is in charge of everything. He's sovereign. We can trust him. He knows and does what is right because he is the creator God. But he's also our rescuer, our redeemer our Savior, the one who's broken into time and space, so to speak, and, uh, and, and delivered us. Verse 12, actually verse 12 all the way to verse 19 focuses on God as the rescuer. 
Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. You know, he, he rescued his people from the nations to make them special. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. God way out there in heaven takes notice and comes near. Verse 14, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. These verses say, your salvation doesn't come from anywhere else. God is your redeemer. God is your rescuer, your deliverer. Sorry, I see some of you are so hesitant because I haven't put up that second that second one, yeah. There you go. Sigh of relief. The mighty king of the universe, he's condescended to love us. Uh, and why or how? Verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the famine. So here's God is creator. God is the rescuer or redeemer. And so worship begins by simply uh, grasping that fact, to reflect on it, to consider it, to ponder how, how God is the, the great king of all, the creator, and he has come near to rescue us. So worship that leads to thriving, it begins by just simply reflecting on that, taking time out to consider who God is and what he's done. So my question for, for you and for me is, uh, when will we do this? In the rhythm of our week, how will we take the time to reflect on who God is? In retrospect, as I was sitting here um, singing the worship songs this morning, I was thinking, oh, we really should have flip-flopped the teaching time and the singing time this morning um, to kind of front load and help us make the most out of the singing time. Because I know uh, it's true of me and maybe some of you is sometimes we go through the motions of worship and forget in our minds to fully engage and consider the greatness of God. So, wh- what does it look like? When do we, when do we worship? Um, one time is certainly uh, this hour, this hour plus on Sunday mornings. To make it a priority. To fully engage as we come through those doors or as we're getting ready at home and we're coming here. And as we sit and as we sing, we fully are conscious and aware of, of uh, the magnitude of God that we worship. When you are coming in and when you're singing, when you're listening, um, what, what are you actually doing? Like, what's going on in your head? Is it worshiping or, or wandering? We could be singing a song and thinking, well, that song's too fast or too slow or too old or too new or, or many other things. Or we could be listening to the scripture, and we could have all these different thoughts about, about whatever or about lunch or who knows what. Sorry I put that out there. Now you, I shouldn't have said lunch, but um, our minds go all kinds of places. And so worship is just harnessing those thoughts and putting them on who God is. We have some, um, some ordinances, which just means something the Lord has told us to do. Uh, ordinances from the Lord that constantly remind us and put our thoughts back on the main thing. And uh, that's baptism and communion. Whenever we have baptisms, we rehearse uh, what Christ has done in, in redeeming. 
whenever we month-to-month participate in communion, we have this this tangible reenactment that puts our minds back on Christ is the Redeemer. He, He rescued us. But we could just mindlessly eat and drink and not give thought to it. When else, I think just the daily habits, uh, we start our prayer time reflecting on God's character as Redeemer and Creator rather than just jumping into our our wish list uh, with the Lord. We can have daily just reminders in in our lives. It's really an interesting uh, tradition of of Orthodox Jews to put a little um, mezuzah, I believe it's called, on their doorpost. They could do the entryway to the house, and sometimes the entry to any uh, living space within the house. And this little thing they put on the door contains a little piece of parchment in it, uh, a little scroll that has uh, the words of, uh, they call it the Shema, which is from uh, Deuteronomy 6. And it's called the Shema because the first word is, is Shema. And why do they put it on their, uh, their doorpost? Well, because in Deuteronomy 6, it says, you shall write them on your doorposts. And so, so that's what they do. And when they walk uh, in and out, they'll, they'll often just touch it uh, as they go in and out. The scripture inside says, see if I can do this. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha. Bekal lavavka, uvkal nefeshka, uvkal meodeka. Which is something like, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your muchness, or with all your, your might or strength. And so a constant reminder, you know, touch that little thing as you walk in, to pause and say, God, you, there's, there's one true God, and, and you're that, and my sole task is to, to love you. Well, this can be... Uh, a mindless motion, you know, tag it, walk in. Or it could be um, a heartfelt, sincere pause and reflect on who God is. Maybe similarly in um, Greek Orthodox or uh, Eastern Orthodox churches um, and Roman Catholic churches, uh, the habit of, of crossing, doing the, the sign of the cross um, of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, that could be a mindless gesture, it's just, you know, it's just rote, it's just automatic. Or it could be a pause and reflect on who God is. The intention of it is to, is to remind us of uh, Christ is the Redeemer. You know, it's the sign of the cross. He, he came to save, and it cost him his life. And also, it's a rehearsing of the Trinitarian uh, formula of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow, if we could just constantly have that in our minds, that would be fabulous. But what about us here in, in good old Baptist churches? What things do we do, this routine in our lives that uh, we don't necessarily stop and consider. We fire off a quick meal at prayer, or we say things, you know, um, we say, you know, God bless you to somebody. Um, we, uh, we use some Christian lingo. Maybe we listen to some Christian music on the radio. These could all just be just, just things we do mindlessly, or you could harness that, pause, stop, and really consider how precious God is. Use all these reminders in your life to turn your thoughts on Christ. Your mealtime prayers, your Christian comments, 
your Christian music, all of these things. I, I'm really convinced, and I was more and more convinced as I was studying this, that we, we don't tend to realize how badly, how desperately we need worship. We need to recalibrate and think about things that are really true because there's so many other voices going on. Uh, see, worship reminds us of reality. It's like it shines a light on the way things really are when we pause and consider. When I was in high school, I was on this ministry team. It was the summer uh, mission program. We did a lot of different, uh, different things, some evangelism, some outreach, some digging ditches, whatever, uh, some time in Mexico. Um, but the first week was uh, a training week, which I think it was kind of like boot camp where they tried to break us. But anyway, it was a training week, uh, good fun. One thing we did was we hiked for a couple days uh, in the wilderness, and uh, we packed along not regular food, but some homemade, um, they called it hardtack, but it's kind of a homemade granola bar, maybe the worst granola bar you ever had. Anyway, we, we took this on a trip. Uh, so we hiked several hours, um, middle of nowhere, and then as it got dark, they would drop us off along the trail, um, maybe 100 yards or so from each other, and say, okay, you know, here, you'll sleep here tonight. So totally alone in the darkness, in, in the woods, along the trail. Well, your mind kind of plays tricks on you in that kind of situation. Is that a tree, or is that some you know, kind of creature? I don't even know what kind of creatures live in this forest. And, uh, and what's that sound? Is that rustling, or is that the stream? And, and everything starts to, you know, starts kind of anxiety. I, di- I really didn't sleep that well. And then the sun comes up in the morning, and you're like, oh, that, that was a rock, you know, not a, you know, not a bear. Or, um, you know, oh, that was the creek. Oh, it's a beautiful creek. It's right there. It's like, okay, now everything starts to make sense. I can see the trail kind of goes this way. We came from that way. That mountain up there is where we're headed. And it's like, oh, it makes sense. So this is what worship does for us. It turns the light on to what's really real, what's really going on in the world, who God really is. He's really in charge. He really cares about us. And we can say, okay, okay, this makes more sense. Because honestly, uh, we spend a lot of our week listening to a lot of confusing voices with various levels of reality in them. Maybe we just have a, a nonstop diet of uh, political talk radio. Maybe we, have, uh, maybe we just chew through um, romance novels. Uh, maybe we just have music going on all the time or reading blogs or watching TV or just listening to the gossip at the coffee shop. Whatever it is, we have all these voices and it gets muddier and muddier and we get confused about who God really is. And we start to feel anxiety. We start to be, be discouraged. We start to have doubts. We start to compromise um, in our convictions. And when we worship, it turns the light on. It's like, oh, this is what's real. This is what's true. What, um, what a testament to how desperately we need worship to thrive. So worship that leads to that life of thriving where our, our soul is well, when things are, are right, living the blessed life, it starts with just pausing to reflect on who God really is, reciting his character. I mean, oh, I gave it away. Uh, rehearsing, uh, reflecting on his character, and then uh, it moves to reciting God's character. 
Okay, reset to the beginning of the psalm. The first three verses. Um, Notice what we're supposed to do in worship. A shout for joy in the Lord, you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Not, not like someone who lies, but, you know, the instrument. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. After we've thought about who God is, then the very next step blends right into it is just saying it, singing it, an audible testimony to who God is. And that's, we set aside a chunk of our service just to do that very thing. Uh, it's not the totality of worship, but it's a critical part of it, is to recite the things that are true about God. We say them back and forth to each other. Uh, we, we sing them together. We put it to, to music. But it's all meaningless if we haven't first thought these things, if we haven't reflected on what God is like. So worship, um, what we do in the service here, um, the reciting of, of scriptures and the singing songs together, um, it is designed to express and affirm the truth about God. So we are calling it out to one another. We're saying this is true, and we affirm it's true. We're saying, yeah, I, I believe these things, and it, and it goes over and over in our minds, in our hearts. So we say it out loud to each other, in front of each other, and that's a critical part of worship. We see it in this psalm. The first few verses talk about all different ways we give an audible um, backup to our thoughts about God. There's a whole, uh, this is a theme throughout the Bible. There's a whole book, the bi- very biggest book of the Bible, uh, Psalms, is just entirely filled with uh, worship songs that we're supposed to uh, say out loud uh, back to God and in front of each other. Um, the New Testament, I kind of uh, mentioned earlier that there's, there's hymns in the New Testament. Those might not be super obvious. Uh, it's really kind of as a sidelight, it's a fascinating sort of field of uh, New Testament study to see uh, a lot of, especially in Paul's epistles, he'll be going on in his usual kind of Paul self, and then it'll lapse into, um, into something different that's maybe shorter phrases, it has a rhythmic uh, feel to it, it's dense theology packed into one thing, and, uh, and most Bible scholars identify those as, as hymns or creeds of the early church. And sometimes they'll be set off by comments like, oh, and it says such and such, or, or, or this we affirm, or something like that. And so right in the middle of Paul's letters, he's apparently making reference to hymns, creeds that were already known in the early church. So from the very beginning, baby church followers of Jesus were, were kind of um, codifying or putting uh, down in writing in condensed form hymns and creeds of, about God as creator and God as redeemer. There's something about just saying what's true about God out loud together. Well, I'm really falling behind on clicking today, aren't I? I fall apart when my wife's out of town. She also usually proofreads these, so if there's, you know, crazy uh, errors, um, that's why. Have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Um, I saw it. Years and years ago, when I was way too young for it to be relevant at all, so it kind of blew by me. Um, and now it's too relevant uh, that I don't want to watch it. 
So um, anyway, Fiddler on the Roof, this Jewish man, this is uh, early 1900s Russia, and he has five daughters that he's marrying off, and you know, the story of of his life. Um, Well, the main character, uh, Tevya, I think that's how he says his name, he asks his wife, uh, do you love me? I don't know if you've remembered this, if you he sings this, of course. Um, and she says, do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Then he goes on to say, but do you love me? <laughs> and eventually she says, well, I suppose I do. And he says, I suppose I love you too. He's just driving. He just wants her to say it, to say it out loud. And that's what we come here at church. Yes, we believe these things, but, uh, but God wants us to, to just say them out loud to him. Okay, gentlemen, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, just FYI. Um, if you're at work, a bunch of guys around, and your wife calls on Valentine's Day, and she says, I love you, you don't say, uh, yeah, me too, uh, because all the guys are there. You say, I love you. It's something about just saying the words. That's what we do in worship. We say the words back to God. When we say it, uh, well, it reaffirms it in our hearts. It's an encouragement to others, and it's a sweet aroma to God. He's so deserving of us, of us saying it to him. So worship that helps us thrive, it starts with reflecting on who God is. It then expresses out loud by reciting it, but it doesn't end there. The kind of worship you need for your soul to really thrive responds to God's character. Uh, In a couple different ways. First, we, we just respond in the moment. We let the impact of the truth about God take expression in our whole person. We've contemplated what's true about God, we've said it, and then immediately our whole body should, uh, should be engaged as well. That, that might look a lot different for one person than another. It'll look a lot different at one time than another. And the psalmist gives us just a wide variety of ways we, we can respond with our whole body. Uh, this psalm just has a few examples. Uh, perhaps we've been so impressed by this truth about God that we shout at the top of our lungs to a guitar solo. Verse 3, play skillfully on the stringed instrument with loud shouts. Just like, I'm just so blown away over this, I'm just going to do a guitar solo right now and shout about how great God is. You can relax, I don't have my guitar up here with me. We might respond um, to a truth about God with just being totally speechless and in awe. Just, I just blown away we can't even talk verse 8 let all the earth fear the lord let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe we, we contemplate how great god is and maybe it just um maybe it just shuts our mouths maybe we just can't do anything or verse 20 our soul waits for the lord he is our help and our shield maybe it's that we hear this truth about god we think about it we say it and it's like ah this huge weight comes off as we place our hope in the lord all those burdens of the week, all those anxieties, all those frustrations, animosity, confusion. It's like, I could trust in the Lord, and you could just sense your whole body kind of being at ease. 
We should respond in the moment when we are impacted by the truth about God. So that could take a variety of forms. If you're rarely moved by the words of worship, then you probably haven't first thought about those words. Our whole body should be engaged. So we respond in the moment with our whole person, and then we respond beyond the moment with our whole life. This is what we mean when we just say, well, life is worship. Um, it's captured well, of course, in the first uh, verse of Romans 12, where after Paul just got done talking you know, pages and pages about how great a Redeemer we have and what God has done to offer us uh, salvation, says, in, in light of all this stuff, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, because of or by the mercies of God, merciful Redeemer, to, what, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This, this is the culmination of worship. You've, you've thought about these things, you've said these things, and then it just bursts forth in your whole life, uh, a response of the way that you live, the things that you do, the places you go, the things you talk about. It's your whole body. You've just laid it before God as a, as a sacrifice. And that is worship. When we truly encounter who God is, we respond with a whole new way of living. The, um, the prophets uh, in the Bible um, picked up this uh, theme again and again, and that is that God doesn't want your, um, your motions of worship. He wants your, your whole life of worship. Um, Again and again, we saw this in uh, Malachi when we were studying that recently. Um, here is uh, several verses in Isaiah, the first chapter of Isaiah, verses 13 to 17. Here, here's what God thinks about worship that is disconnected from, um, from a life of worship. It says, bring no more vain offerings. Just stop doing this. I don't, I don't need your offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. It's, it's disgusting. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. Well, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. They, those things do not go together. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, what? Hates. God, God hates worship. <laughs> That's not genuine. Because they've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Like, I'm just so tired of this. <laughs> when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes. God doesn't even want to look at you going through the motions. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. So true worship is expressed in a life of, of righteousness, in a life of, of looking out for those who are, um, who are taken advantage of. It means living with integrity. And uh, if there's this total disconnect between Sunday morning and the rest of your week, uh, God doesn't want Sunday morning. <laughs> like, that's disgusting. I know, I know what you did last night. Like, don't, don't just go through the motions of, 
prayers and offerings here. But um, his, his point is to not to have you stop doing these things. His point is that you would complete worship by living it out in your life. So worship that our soul needs to thrive responds to God's character. So what, what happens uh, when we make a habit of doing this? When in the r- routine rhythm of our life, we take out time to ponder, reflect on who God is, let that sink down. Um, then we recite it, whether, whether that means uh, journaling it or singing it out loud or you know, just saying it to each other. We, we say the truth about God. And then we respond to that truth both in the moment and in our, in our lives. And then what, what happens to us when we live this way, when we carve out time for that? Well, here's how the psalm ends. Verse 21 and 22. For our heart is glad in him. You know, happy, joyful hearts, the, the blessed life where things are, things are okay and I'm, it's well with my soul, I'm good with God. Our heart is glad. Because we trust in his holy name, this, this trust, this grounded confidence in God that He's got things under control, and I could be at ease in his presence. I could be at ease in a world that's wholly unat ease. I know that's not a word. It goes on to say, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. You live with this deep sense that God loves you with a covenant love. That, that permeates your life. And it ends, even as we hope in you. A life filled with hope. It, isn't that the life we want? We want that joy and gladness to be just leaking out of us. <laughs> this blessedness, this grounded confidence that, okay, even though these things happen in life, I'm okay because of God. This sense that he loves us so much. This sense of hope of what he's going to take care of the future. That's, that's how I want to live. I want, I want to be uh, in that state all the time. And this is the result of worship. The byproduct of worship, we might say. And this is thriving, what the psalmist describes at the end. So, conclusion. When we reflect on God's character as creator and redeemer, and then we go to say that out loud, we recite it, and then we respond to it, it leads to a life where my soul flourishes. This is a core, essential habit of followers of Jesus. So just our final challenge, you can sum this up, is just let your life be a response, response to the reality of God. Let uh, your day-to-day and your Sunday and your quiet time and your interaction with your neighbors and all these things just be a response to the reality of who God is. And that's worship. That's what we need to thrive, and uh, we'll we'll continue to worship right now. Let me let me pray. God, you are so so worthy, and and that's really the reason why we worship. And we're just so blessed by the byproduct of of being in a state uh, of just rightness with you, and uh, where our souls are are thriving, and we're experiencing the life you intended. Um, but God, you are just so glorious, and we come today. To, to recite that, to say it out loud to each other, to affirm it, um, to express it, because it's so, 
so true, and we need to reflect on that all the time. And so we do, in Christ's name, amen.